Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And to start off the new year, we have an absolutely incredible and exciting and uh, deep conversation with adventurer Cyril Deramo. Cyril is one of those people who is a big dreamer. And once Cyril has a big dream, he goes after it, uh, whether that's in the face of fear or the face of failure or any of that. Cyril will go after uh, the dream that he he is passionate about, uh, which I really, really respect. And in um, September 2022, he accomplished probably his biggest dream to date when he kayaked a boat from California to Hawaii. Um, So he crossed the Mid-Pacific purely under human power. It's an absolutely incredible story. Um, We're definitely going to have to have Ciro back on the podcast because I feel like we barely even scratched the surface uh, of the story and his thoughts on it and, you know, kind of the philosophies and mental training that he used Uh, to be able to accomplish this. Um, In this episode, we get into fear. How do you face fear? How do you face stress? Uh, What is it like to be in the middle of the ocean completely by yourself for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks? Um, And, you know, how do you just keep going when when it gets difficult and everything gets challenging? Um, This is an awesome episode. I was so excited to sit down with Cyril to record with him um, just to kind of pick his brain on what this adventure meant to him Uh, and he has many more of these big paddles uh, that I know he's planning for in the future and I'm very excited to chat with him again Um, so this is an awesome episode Uh, (laughs) at one point my four-year-old walked down the stairs to the basement where I was recording and sat on my lap and uh, began to color the whole time uh, because mom wasn't home. Uh, She didn't want to hang out with sisters, so I get it. Uh, So I hope you can't hear her coloring in the background. If you can, I apologize. Uh, But you know what? That girl, you can't, like, she might be, in a good way, one of the most stubborn human beings I've ever met. And... That's just how she is, man. She's she's kind of like like she's kind of like Cyril. You set your mind to something, and then you go do it. And her goal was to come downstairs in the middle of recording with with uh with Cyril and color some pictures. And you know what? No one's no one's gonna no one's gonna knock her off of her goal here. Um, <laughs> so uh, that might show up in the episode at some point so thank you all for being patient with dad mode and thank you cyril for just being an awesome dude and uh yeah let's get into the episode this is like a bigfoot podcast number 364 with ocean crosser adventurer all around awesome dude cyril Dermo. Cyril, you got to tell us all about this. You have become the second, tell me if I'm wrong, you're the second person ever to kayak from basically San Francisco, Monterey Bay area to Hawaii. And that is absolutely amazing. So first of all, huge congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It, it was a big passion of mine to get this project to completion. A lot of people thought it was crazy, and sometimes I thought I was crazy myself. <laughs> but I thought I believed I could do it, and yeah. and I and I followed that intuition and made it happen. It took me ninety-one days to get there. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I want to get into the whole entire thing. Yeah. What made you come up with the idea? What the experience was like? What everyone's reaction was? Um, but when I was reading an article today, you mentioned. Uh, that you feel like you're just a regular guy, you know, who was able yeah. to do this insane thing. And I'm here to tell you, you're not a regular guy from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but can you kind of expand on that idea? Yeah. So listen, 
the first time I was in a kayak, I was 32 years old. I'm 47 now, right? So 32 yeah. is quite late to start kayaking. In fact, it was canoeing for six years before I even started kayaking. Yeah. And I'm a regular guy. My, my sport was always soccer. I yeah. played soccer, you know, since I was like 12 until lately, you know? So I'm not a crazy guy who's like... I'm not a LeBron James. I'm not a Victor Wembayama who's got like amazing skills and like no, I'm a regular guy and I'm just passionate. And then I, I think I found my niche and my niche is ultra endurance, where it's actually ultra ultra because it's multi day, multi weeks, multi months yeah. adventure where um, the athleticism is only part of the, the, the successful uh, recipe. Uh, I'm a jack of all trades. And when you go on an expedition like this, as a solo uh, adventurer or explorer, you have to be able to do everything on the boat. You have to do, you know, be a little bit psychological. You have to, you know, be self-aware of where you are mentally and emotionally. Yeah. You have to be able to fix anything on the boat, and a little bit of carbon fiber, a little bit of electricity here. You have to be able to self-medicate. You have to be able to navigate on the ocean. And so there's... I'm good at a little bit of everything, but yeah. I'm not great at anything. So I'm a really good guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fascinating. I'd never thought about it, but you're right. Like the jack of all trades, when you're doing a solo and unsupported mission mm -hmm. across the ocean, like you have mm -hmm. to be able to do everything. Yeah. Like what, what gave you the confidence for that? Uh, so what, when I say, look, I'm going to leave the shore of California. I'm going to be alone and non-assisted so there's no boat following me for 90 days completely unsupported uh, i'm going to make my own water i'm going to be in the darkness and and drift at night and people are like what you're crazy like and so your question is what made you believe that you could do it and i yeah. think it's just for me i really believed it to my core there's belief and there's reality of belief like uh, yeah, I think it can be an NBA player. No, you can't, you know, <laughs> but to, to, to be able to do these kind of adventures, you have to believe it to your core. If you don't believe it, you can't lie to yourself. Yeah. If you don't believe it to your core, then you're going to fail. At some point, there's going to be the difficulties that are bigger than yourself. So you have to believe it to your core. How do you get to the point where you think you could do this? Is the whole experience thing. You know, I told you I started kayaking. I was 32 years old. Yeah. It took only me only 10 years when I was 42 to start designing the kayak. So what happened during those 10 years is gradually pushing my limits. And, you know, when you, we talk about going outside your comfort zone, that was that a little bit. I started kayaking. I was doing races about 12 miles. So 12 miles is going to be an hour long, right? And then there was this race uh, it's called the Molokai Hoi from the island of Molokai to Oahu. It's crossing the Kaiwi Channel. It's 40 miles. 40 miles is going to be six hours. Yeah. Six hours? What? From what? How do I transfer this? So it took me two years to get there, right? And then I did that race four times. So to the point where six hours was actually not that long anymore. And then I looked at that race it was 100 miles. 100 miles is going to be 12 hours. Okay, how do I manage my body, my nutrition, my, my gear, so I can paddle for 12 hours nonstop? Right, so then you get to another level. You train differently. You you surround yourself with different people, and you learn more, and you go into more, um, you know, maybe technical things about paddling. Like the stroke has to be the right the right one. Yeah. And then once I did this, okay, there's this one race in Canada. It's 450 miles. What? It's four <laughs> times. It's gonna take 50 hours. How do you paddle for 50 hours? That this is ridiculous. Yeah. But then again, you bring your level up a little bit. You. You have your foundation of the 12 hours you felt strong. And then, okay, okay, I've got to do that three times. How do I do that? And, and then, again, you get better and better. And I did that four times. You know, I did that, like actually three times on a four-man, on six-man, on a four-man, on a two-man boat. Okay. And, right? So so it's gradual. Yeah. There, there's no way. Uh, you had told me at 32 years old, you're going to cross solo on a kayak? No way, man. What are you What are you talking about? There's yeah. no way. So, what um can I ask you about? I mean, so you covered a few different races there, the one from the islands in Hawaii, um, yeah. and the one in Canada. When you first did the the island crossing in Hawaii, because I guess can you take us through the kayak journey? Like I'm assuming yeah. at first you're on lakes or or something like that, or or are you on the ocean, but like on the shore? Like how does that work out? Yeah. So the the first type of canoe that I did was the 
outrigger canoe. It's a Polynesian boat. Yeah. Polynesian is a six-man boat. We're all in line, one in front of the other, and there's a floating, we call it the ama, which is a floating uh, part on the left side of the boat. So it's very much a teamwork. And you do that, and you go on the ocean. I started under the Golden Gate. There's a little cove called Horseshoe Cove. And I remember my first time I went there, I was 30, like I told you. And after half an hour, like, dude, when are we stopping? I'm like, half an hour? I'm tired. You know, it's, it's tough. <laughs> but then I got, I got to really like it. And yeah. the next step was, oh, you're going to one man. It's the same outrigger canoe, but on a one man, still on the ocean. And on a one man, then you feel your stroke because then you can't lie. The other five guys that are not, not on the boat, so if you're slow, it's because you can't really paddle. <laughs> yeah. Right? So then you get better, and then I really like to be alone and go around. And we have this island called Angel Island in the Bay Area. I love to go around. It's about two hours. And you know I kind of push my limit a little bit to be alone and, and okay, what are the safety requirements I need to follow and et cetera. And then the next step was to do uh, a kayak. So a kayak, is, is different, right? So it's it's a different paddle and you paddle, it's on both hands and then you go right, left, right, left. And then I, you could do that on the ocean, you could do that on rivers. And I started to do river uh, kayaking. And the good thing about rivers, you have to start to to read the river, right? It's turning yeah. right. How do you, where is the, the fastest way to take the line? And then you learn of the ripples of the rocks. Don't go there, there's rocks, you know, all that stuff. So you keep on learning. And in the end, it was just all about having fun. Yeah, You know, when I did first the race in Canada, we were in a canoe, six-man canoe, but no armor on the side. It was yeah. a Canadian canoe, so it's like almond-shaped boat. And we didn't really know. I mean, it's called the the race of the midnight sun. And the cool <laughs> thing about this is so I mean, high. dude, that's already like the coolest name I've ever oh, heard. Oh, man, the coolest thing. There's <laughs> bears and moose, and and you're you're pretty much alone on the river all night. And But the great thing is there's almost no night because it's so much north. Yeah. At 11 p.m., the sun goes down, it's dark for an hour, and at 1 yeah. a.m. in the morning, next day, it's, the sun's rise up. At 2 o'clock, it's a brand new day. That's so cool. And then so you cool. go through the, the 24 hours of paddling, you're like, wow, this is cool. And then you push yourself, and then you learn through that. You're not, you're not alone. And, and then at the end, I was like, you know what? I'm not very strong. I mean, you see me. I'm a regular guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've got a little, you know, love handles on the side. And, <laughs> but I'm... I'm pretty good for long distance because it's mostly mental. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's changing your perspective so that what you're going through, which is hard, you can see it in a different way. And then you can use different muscles and, okay, I'm going to do, do different stroke or uh, I, I manage really well my effort. Um, I don't go too hard, too, too strong at the wrong time or, yeah. you know, I'm tired. I go through it mentally. And so it's, it's all these, it's progressive. It's progressive. Yeah. Is where, where at in Canada was that? It's in Yukon, the Yukon Territory. Okay. So we started from a town called Whitehorse. Yeah, I've heard of Whitehorse. You have? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we go down all the way, almost to Alaska. We stopped before Alaska, and then we, uh, I forgot the name of the time, but you arrive in a cowboy town, and that was fun about. I convinced my friends that were better <laughs> paddler than me. I say, hey, about this race a bit. What do we do now? Yeah. You know, let's, let's do that. And, and the next one could be, in France, like there's canoe race all over the place. You could be yeah. in South America and all that. Why not? That's awesome. You know? I had this friend, he had a really cool expression is, all we want to do is do a cool thing uh, in cool places with cool, with cool people. That's it, man. I think you just summed up adventure right there. I might, this might be the last episode of the podcast. I'm like, he's, <laughs> man. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Like when you're starting off, are you meeting? Cause is there like a like a boathouse there in San Francisco? Like I think I've gone by there before where you were describing like Oh yeah, yeah. And there's yeah, a community so, of people there, right? That are all paddling and doing all that. Yeah, yeah. There's many communities. There's different kayakers, canoers, you know, outrigger canoes, there's sailors in the bay. It's it's very it's it's a nice place to go out on the bay. And you could yeah. be either on the San Francisco side, you could be where I am, which is Marin, Marin County, uh, there's yeah. a, a town called Sausalito. Okay. So I, I paddle out of Sausalito, and I've got to tell you these days right now, so we're uh, uh, like the end of December, it's probably the best time to paddle. Please really? come down and we'll go paddle together. Yeah. <laughs> right now, the herrings are in the bay. That means there's like, they come and, and, they, and they make their uh, little eggs, right? They, they um, 
reproduce. Yeah. And there's that means the cormorants and the pelicans. There's thousands of cormorants that are here. It's National Geographic, and that's what it is. You can do cool stuff long distance, but at the day to day, when you go practice, you still have to be, enjoy the process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when I wake up, it's cold and it's raining and then it's dark. I'm still happy because I know there's going to be beautiful sunrise. I want to be friends. I'm going to be watching nature and see the birds. And that's what yeah. drives me. Yeah. I mean, that's like the most important thing is the enjoyment of it, even during the quote unquote grind. Yeah. Um, it's so I important. And, and I, 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 that's something that I used a lot in my long crossing too. Yeah. Uh, if you do it just for the final objective, yeah, it's not enough. You know, the process has to be like the journey is what it is about. yeah um i wanted to hear about like mentors because like are you finding people that you're connecting with like who brought you into this and who did you kind of look up to yeah so i'm very much into uh you know beginner's mind where i love to learn new things yeah and i'm okay not to know uh, some a lot of people say oh, i don't know how to play guitar i'm gonna start guitar you know yeah uh, I'm happy to learn. And and the mentor th thing, like you're touching, is really key. I've always met people that could feel that I had this energy to wanting to learn, wanting to, and they said, okay, hey. So important. So exactly. important. Exactly. Yeah. They said, look, it's a full moon. You want to go paddle? Yes. I'd say yes. Yeah. I don't know how to paddle, but I'd say, this is so cool <laughs> to go. Right? Yeah. It's it's 10 p.m. Let's go in the full moon. So the, the first one that invited me to go paddling, was, his name is Tevita. Okay. He's from Fiji and he's a paddler and then he invited me to go paddle. That and then I met another uh, mentor. His name is Leif. Yeah. And Leif is is from Alaska originally, and then he would be the one to invite me to go paddle. And then there was David. And you're right. It's it's like really connecting the dots where some people will bring you to different adventures and then it'll change. There's this guy called Carter and Carter is an amazing paddler, very, very athletic and very systematic in his training. And it was really key for me to, to get to know him. Um, and the great thing is, you know, in California, there's plenty, plenty of these people that are willing to help you. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're willing to be coached, the sky's the limit, man. That's the thing. Like, I think the beginner's mindset is so important. And it's something as an adult, like, we forget about that, you know, because we fall into our experiences, we fall into our comfort zone. Also, my four year old's joining us for a second. Oh, <laughs> she's hi. being she's being very polite, though, and very quiet, which is very nice. Uh, say hi. He kayaked across the ocean. She's like, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but, but like, we forget about that. And we forget how important it is. But then when we put ourselves out there, and we're doing something new, it's like seriously like the world just expands for us and i think you're right like all your friends probably sense that about you that you were willing to accept that experience and just willing to learn like being willing to learn is just it's so important you know and and it's even more true when you do things you've never done before like for instance i know it's going to be two months at sea and i'm an extrovert i love people yeah. I'm not, That's I'm a, do, oh, I have so many questions about that for later. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then I, it's like, okay, I'm going to be paddling for 12 to 15 hours a day. How do you get ready for this? How do you, you know, uh, are, how you okay? How is your body going to be okay and being uncomfortable and salty and tired and, yeah. and maybe seasick and sleep deprived? How am I going to fare with this? Yeah. Right. So the thing is, okay, I want to be that, like this. How do I train for this? I'm going to try. Wim Hof being cold water and being miserable in the cold and wet. Yeah. I'm going to try to do Zazen meditation. I'm going to try to do hypnosis. I'm going to try to have a, a mental coach who's going to tell me yeah. this and that. You know, I'll try anything. Yeah. I have nothing to lose, only to gain. <laughs> I want to hear. Okay. So, out of all those things you just mentioned, which one do you think had like the biggest help on like shifting your mindset with comfort? Well, I had a professional, his name, uh, he, he's from France. Yeah. And he's a mental coach. Okay. And he has systematic approach to, let's say, fear or to okay. uh, being uncomfortable and say, okay, Cyril, well, how do you pilot your uncomfort level or your stress level? Says, yeah. I don't know. Well, he says, well, when we fire man, <laughs> yeah. let's say you're going on an emergency or a fire, you don't know if the fire is going to last a week, two weeks. Yeah. It could be three days, three hours. 
what you need to do is pilot your stress level. What does that mean? That means if you're actually fighting the fire, you need to be 10 out of 10. Yeah. If you're back to the truck, you need to be eight out of 10 or even seven out of 10 because other people are fighting the fire. You need to coordinate the, or, the organ. If you go back to the, the main house where you sleep and you're ready to get the next day, you need to be at two out of uh, 10, right? Yeah. You can't be stressed all the time, even though the emergency is there. So he says, okay, oh, how that's, is it that, that so correlates true. to you? Yeah. Yeah. How does that correlate to you? If you're in an active storm, you have to be 10 out of 10 when you're paddling your survival. When you go back in the cabin, the storm is still there. You put your sea anchor. You have to have a system where you feel safe enough in the cabin uh, to to feel Drop like it's levels. seven. Because yeah. you can't be on all the time. The storm could be for a week or two. Yeah. And then when you're, you're you know, when it's calm, you be, need to be able to go down. You know, it's a credit and, and, and debit kind of thing where your stress level has to be replenishing you because you, you know how to calm yourself. And uh, so it goes for that. It is, you know, the power of the vision. Uh, like, for instance, we started working together. He said, why do you want to do this? Yeah. How do you want to feel when you get to Hawaii? I want to feel like, you know, I pushed myself and I did it, you know. And Okay, tell me what the, the feeling and emotions you've got. And, then, and I go through the process of telling him. Yeah. Okay, write them down. I want you to remember that every time it's hard during the crossing, this is why you do it. Yeah. Every time when your training is hard, look at that. You want to feel alive. You want to feel like you're, you're, you're proud of yourself to have conquered that. You want to be, you know, um, inspiring other people to do the same and follow their dreams. That's what you want to do. Remember yeah. that. So yeah. these are like things that are well known. I'm sure like a lot of athletes do that. And uh, I was happy to to be able to work with him. So let me ask you, like, that's so interesting. And I don't think... A lot of us, I think a lot of people could benefit from that, the whole fear level and just being conscious of it, you know, yeah. or stress or whatever, like whatever the emotions are that we're facing. So, um, let me give you an example. Yeah. Uh, talk uh, on your topic. It's great. Cre in French, we say creating automatism, automatism in your brain where a, something that could be stressful isn't stressful anymore. Let's say, remind the first time you drove a car, all right? Well, in my, my case, it was in Europe, so it was a stick, stick shift, you know, change gear first, second, you know, and then you have to accelerate because you're passing that car. Yeah. You have to look in the mirror. You have to put the blinkers on. You have to look like it's, it's stressful, right? Yeah. But as you go and you have more experience driving, yeah, it's no, no big deal. You just drive. Automatic. It's automatic. And even think something that could be stressful, let's say you're driving in the rain and you're passing that truck, you know, for 10 seconds, you're not going to see anything, right? So at the first time, it's like, what, what, what? At the end, it's like, you've done it three, four times. No stress. Yeah. You keep going on. You have a process. So he said, Cyril, all you have to do is if you're stressed, when a wave comes from the back, almost capsizes you, swamps the, cac the cockpit. Well, if you're not acquainted to that feeling, you're going to be scared and it's yeah. gonna be stressful. You have to do it when you're training. You have to yeah. go through that. So... In your training, you have to go as close to reality as possible to what the actual experience is going to be. That Another makes example is, okay, I don't know. This cabin is so small. It's like a little coffin, right? I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm closed in. It's waterproof. I know it's going to be fine, but I'm attached here at the chest and the hips and it's stormy condition. I could stay for two days with nothing. You know, just laying down there. You're like it's actually here. like strapped in. Oh, yeah. In the cabin. Wow. Yeah. So you could feel like, um, you know, trapped. No, no. The feeling you want to have is feel like a cocoon, like you're safe in there. You're safe, you yeah. There. So I got before I got the boat. The boat was built in England, right? Because it's there's very little people that build kayaks. Um, so while it was built, I built the exact cabin made out of wood in my backyard, same size, etc. I would spend all the whole afternoon in there. I no way. Her. It was close enough to the house so I could have Wi-Fi. I could work from there. I would yeah. Sleep in there. And that yeah. was like 40 something. And my fiance was like, Cyril, what are you doing? You're 40 years old. You're sleeping in that dog house in the backyard. And I'm like, babe, I'm working on my dream. <laughs> but once I had done that, I put the box into a trailer and I would go to see friends and I would sleep in the, in the, in my car, like in the, it's just a little cabin in front of yeah. the house. And then once the boat arrived from England on the trailer, I would sleep on it. And then I would put the boat in the water, but attached to the dock, I would sleep on it on the water, but very safe, right? Yeah. And then I would put it in the bay attached to a buoy. Then we'd move a little bit more. I would not be on the dock and I would sleep on it. And then, you know, 
And I would do the same on a buoy on a very stormy night and I would sleep on it. So the, the, the thing about fear, and uh, you go gradually towards what you fear and then you eliminate the fear because you're acquainted to it and you feel safe. And that's what it went for me when I decided, okay, I can be alone for 90 days. I can be alone. I, I won't feel lonely. And you have to get to that point. You can't lie to yourself. And you could talk to all the super athletes that you know climb mountains and do things. Uh, to them, what they do is not that fearful. Now, if you're looking from an outside eye, yeah, well, there's going to be shark on the water. Is there going to be like yeah. deep waters and storms and dark yeah. nights and you won't see land? Yeah, it feels scary, but I got to the point where I actually didn't feel scary anymore. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I To relate to it, um in like a very small way i went for a run last week and it it was in the morning it was dark out like 5 a.m up this little mountain by my house and it was completely fogged in like i couldn't see more than like three feet in front of me but i'd run it so many times that i was so comfortable with it that uh you know i was like i came back and told my wife yeah i told my wife about it i'm like I know like most people would be terrified by this whole experience, but I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's exactly that to just a different scale. But I was wondering, like, even when you were defining like the numbers and you're like, you know, I'm in the middle of a storm in the middle of the Pacific, that's a 10. My yeah. body has to be able to respond to it at a level 10 so I can, you know, be responsive. And then when I get back in my cabin, I need to be able to calm back down. You know, um, did even just like defining it by those numbers, did that kind of help you out? Yeah, it, it did. But it's it's always easier said than done. Yeah, and it's easier said in front of the <laughs> computer with your <laughs> coach rather than once you're on the water. In fact, you know, I, I did the first attempt on a kayak. It was in 2021. Yeah, I did three days. It was good. And then three days later, it was really bad weather. 35 knots of wind gusting 40 big waves and once the you know you you say i'm going to try to do my zazen and breathing technique it's not working you're you're in scary mode it's it's not working yeah so so what is that technique really quick just because so i mean the thing is you can you can read all the books you want talk to all the people that have done it before yeah and you know uh listen to all the podcasts of the best people you cannot um know it until you've had your ass <laughs> in a storm yeah that's my friend you know it's <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is experience is that so it's all about training yeah so what but what is the breath thing is it like a breathing technique or well i mean it's it's a uh, uh yeah this breathing technique just quiet um just re- trying to relax but it's really hard on an, in, in a crisis just to yeah. relax you know yeah i guess um for me, what worked was just to kind of give in. Yeah. Given the fact that you're completely not in control yeah. and that maybe the worst could happen, but you decided to do this and then being okay with whatever could happen is actually yeah. what's, you know, like, actually, that's it. You know, I, I'm not in control. I might die. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's okay. You know, you're like, this is what I signed up for. Like, I don't know. It's one of those, is it one of those moments where you're like, I, made the decision to do this so i'm okay with whatever happens yeah yeah so when i before i left you know i was i I knew there were risk and i in front of each risk i had an answer let's say you know i need water all the way through okay watermaker yeah watermaker breaks i have a backup plan i have a backup i'm very good at this looking the same for communication same for uh, you know mapping and gps and all this and gear and all this but uh, in the end, you're not in control. You're really just, you know that you have everything to be able to adapt. Yeah. And once, once it happens, you just have to adapt. You have, you have to agree to your capacity to adapt to, to all these. Yeah. They would build it something that I would, would like, you know? So, uh, and then, um, comes your preparation and thinking that you've taken the right choices in your training and your, and everything, right. The gear, um, and the first takeoff was uh, June 2021. Uh, it was a good day. I left off of uh, the Golden Gate just from Horseshoe Cove, what I was mentioning before, exactly yeah. where I started canoeing, you know, 10 years before. No way, really? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> just That's under awesome. the Golden Gate, 
yeah. it was very early in the morning, 5 a.m., and it was an ebb, so the water, the water is going out the gate, yeah. and I'm riding the ebb, and the sunrise is beautiful. There's no wind. I'm going in for three days. I'm paddling good. I'm doing. I'm managing my my sleep deprivation and my seasickness because I'm always seasick at the beginning. Yeah. As soon as you get off the gate, you know, there's the swell is different, and then you, you kind of get seasick like that, but you go through it. Yeah. And then the the weather went from bad to worse. Many things went wrong. And my uh, baler, which uh, empties the boat, the the water from my cockpit, uh, started to fail. So a little bit more stress, and then my communication with my lancer board started to be slow and and problematic. Uh, and the weather was so bad, I had to put a sea anchor. So for those who listen, a sea anchor is like a parachute. You you have a line that comes out of your boat, and then maybe 50 meters, let's say 100 feet, 120 feet, and you have that parachute in the water. And it's like an anchor because it slows you down. Yeah. And it puts the boat perpendicular to the wave, and the wind is going to be super strong. But you could ride the wave not being parallel to the wave, so you're not going to capsize. And it's okay. okay. I waited for three days. It was fine. Yeah. That's what sailboats do when, when there's like a really, really bad weather. You just throw the sea anchor out and just wait Put it out. Sea anchor, yeah, wait it out. Because, look, it was 35 knots. When I paddle, I'm going two miles an hour, two knots. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's overpowering me. And that's why So how, are you going backwards at all like during that? Yeah, yeah, I'm drifting. Yeah. And, so, but the sea anchor makes me drift slow okay right? so let's say i would if, without the sea anchor i would do 10 miles with the sea anchor i'm only drifting three five miles right okay and and that's why the first three days you need no wind because i can go as far as i can from the coast yeah then should i be in a storm uh, it, it would be too far for the storm to bring me back to the rocks gotcha that makes sense yeah. okay so what happened is well after three days i problem after problem and then my sea anchor started to fail and and got entangled in my rudder the boat started to go sideways to the oh. and then i got overwhelmed by the sense of being trapped of i couldn't manage and i started to vomit out of stress my i thought it was okay mentally but no no my body was in stress and and i connected with my lens support it'd been six days i had issues with my steering line and my batteries and we decided you know it's, it's just one thing after another it won't building go. up yeah, it won't yeah. um it's I had you know I felt it was dangerous for my life, so I called the Coast Guards and came to save me. Yeah, I was a helicopter. Three hours later, I was the at the SFO, but you know the international airport, and that was it. My dream for which I had worked for three years. Yeah, and imagine, it's making sure that you have your job on the. You quit your job because you want to be able to be on the water for three months, right? Yeah. So I write my will because I don't know if we're going to really. I all my emails were like everything in your life. Imagine what you do on a daily basis had to be in automatic, right? So I put my life in in a pause to be able to do this. And suddenly I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Do I wait another year? So the one thing I did, I got into a call, just like this, a Zoom call, was this guy called Scott Donaldson. And Scott had helped me a lot through my preparation. He's this Kiwi guy. He crossed the Tasman Sea from Australia to New Zealand. Yeah. Right. It took him 60 plus days, 60 wow. plus, seven days like this, but it took him three attempts. He failed twice. Okay. And it was really good. And at the beginning, he said, okay, Cyril, well, you got rescued. Uh, do you think you were prepared? Oh, yeah, I was prepared. My boat was pristine. My gear was great. And great. You know, the first three days, I made good distance. Yeah, but Cyril, you were rescued. So do you think you were prepared? Well, when I got rescued, you know, uh, I had all the protocols. I called the Coast Guard. I had my survival suit. I had the flares to so they could see me. I had the VHF. I had the PFD. I had all the gear. Like it, For them, it was almost easy, like a good training. Yeah, but you were rescued. So do you think you were prepared? And then, like, <laughs> You're like, oh, oh God. All right, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> and then, so, How, so and that, like in what way were you unprepared? So he pushed me first mentally to tell me, uh, yeah, you failed. You know, and I had to recognize that first so I could start a rebuild. So I didn't know in what way I had failed because I felt okay. I felt safe, but I wasn't good enough that, in fact, the, the first teaching was very fast. Three days yeah. later, I had to go get my boat. I went yeah. to get it, took, found a tow boat out of Santa Cruz, 70 miles offshore. I found the boat, brought it back, yeah. and the boat was like floating nice and easy. Yeah. So that means my lesson was like, if I had passed out, yeah. Not eaten, not drunk, not for three days. I would have been fine. I wouldn't have died. 
my vote is made mm, for that. Yeah. It would have maybe capsized, but it would have been self-frightening. Yeah. In fact, it's fine. So yeah. it's really, there's something in my training that is not good enough. Or maybe I'm not ready to lose it all and like even lose my life. You know, I need to, I need to train better. And that was the beginning of the That was the lesson. Process. Yeah. Well, a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a, as a teacher, you know, I think about this idea of like the failure cycle or whatever. There's probably a smarter way of saying it in teaching teacher lingo, but uh, it's the idea of like you try, and especially as a science teacher, you try something, it doesn't work exactly as you imagined. You tweak something, you come back and try it again. And um, I always, I remember I learned from this guy, Rick Wormelli, um, he used the acronym FAIL but he used it as first attempt in learning. And I've always loved that because I'm like, it's such a shift in mindset and it makes you kind of fearless to go out and put it on the line and learn the hard lessons the hard way and be okay with that. Because yeah. I have to imagine when you called the Coast Guard, that was a, a big test of your ego. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, well, in, yes and no. In some ways, yeah, I was giving up on on my dream to cross, but it was part of the one of the possibilities. And once I decided, it was actually emotionless. It was okay. This is happening. I'm doing this. You know, I had envisioned the fact that I could be rescued at sea. But what I would say is, I you know, there's a tendency in in teaching that you know you never fail. It's just you're just learning. I think I'm not afraid of saying that I failed. It's okay yeah. to fail. Yeah. But, you know, like you have five teams playing soccer. Even the team number five has a medal. I'm a little bit against that. I think there's the first yeah. winner and then second has a medal and that's it. And you lost. You're yeah. not good enough. Now, what do you do about this? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and not everybody can be winner. You have to fail because life is like this, right? Exactly. And uh, you have to but, learn how to handle it too, you know? Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, what I would say is actually what I'm really thinking about these days is um, failure or, or attempting something allows you to um, to see if the theory that you have in mind, now there's like a reality check. Reality doesn't lie. The ocean will not lie. Either you're ready or you're not ready, right? Yeah. And reality check is like this and, and, being, and going out there with the guts to think, I'm going to try as best as I can is, uh, is a good reality check. You know, uh, like for instance, th there's so much between theory and reality. Reality is always right. Theory. We could think we know the reality, but we actually don't know until we're confronted to that reality. Let me explain. For instance, yeah. you're going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die. My neighbor is going to die. My, everybody we love or, in the world is going to die. That's reality. So we think yeah. it's reality, right? But it's actually a theory that we think we know until we're confronted with a near-death experience, then we know what death is, right? Yeah. So the reality is not more a concept anymore. Yeah. Maybe you change your life by being that. So putting and that's and out there. Is that why like when people have those experiences where it's close and they can feel it? Like you can feel that it's close. Of course, yeah. And then exactly. they they make big changes and shifts, and they just—it's it, almost like a peaceful moment because you're like, you're like, whoa, that's what that was. Now I can live my life with a new understanding. Yeah, and that—that's the beauty of being alive. And you could say that for the hard thing, but also for the good thing. Like when you're a dad, I remember the first time I was a dad, like. <laughs> I knew the theory. Well, well I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to feed yeah. him at night and then get up and <laughs> yeah. change his diaper. Yeah. But the first time they put the baby in your hand. Exactly. And you're like, this is your son. Like, what? What? <laughs> I'm not ready. Well, you are now. You're a dad. That's a reality, my man. <laughs> I remember the first time, the night, the night of like after our first one was born and, uh, you know, you're laying down, you're trying to sleep and then you hear the baby moving around and, and crying and stuff. And then you're like, it, that's when it hit me. I was like, whoa, th this is our baby now. Like we are the ones that had the baby. <laughs> it's reality. And, reality yeah. is just there, you know? Yeah. And literally right here on my lap right now. <laughs> uh, no, she's my third, but, um, but yeah, like, 
it's just so interesting doing something like this but i want to hear about the successful crossing um so you went you you failed first attempt in learning you yeah. learned and you headed back out like one that has to take a lot of bravery to just put yourself back out there you know like what were the external um like what was the external chatter like from people around you and then what was the internal like during that year leading up to the second mm -hmm. one so internally i thought i was i wasn't given a fair shot it was really bad weather backlogged that the mic anchor system failed but like i said there's no blueprint i was kind of inventing a new system right yeah, I took yeah. What, what i knew from the rowing world but my boat is much smaller so i said i just want to learn so much more and you know, so I speak five languages fluently. I've got a master's degree in international business. The first thing would be I got to get a job. But if I didn't yeah. get a job, then I would lose my dream because dreams over a year later, who's going to hire me knowing that I'm going to be four months on the water. You know? Exactly. And, doing, and being training like three, four hours a day. So all I had to do is be okay with that. And I'm not going to like for my, my dream is the priority. So I actually became a diver. And so I would, you know, a friend of mine is diver cleans, you know, the, the algae from the sailboats on the harbors and marinas. Yeah. And he said, well, you could, uh, I could teach you that. And to me, it made a lot of sense because I would be underwater spending an hour and a half, two hours there to cleaning the boats. So I would be acquainted to being cold and wet and miserable and staying underwater. So that system, when my sea anchor got entangled in the rudder, I could be able to fix it. Right. But at the whoa, same time, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I would be, you know, making enough money that I could pay my expense, but I could still train. I could still work on my boat. So for one year, it was sacrifice that you don't see. You know, once you say, hey, you cross the ocean in three months. All right. Good. You don't see the other things. And in fact, no. I wouldn't call them sacrifice because you're so much into your project. Yeah. That you're OK to do this. It's just it the, the pressure from the peers that say, what are you doing? You're 45. You should be working a company. You know, no, no, no. I'm an adventurer. That's yeah. a story you tell yourself. That Dude, I love that so much. Like the, it is funny because you're right. Like we even like talk. Like I mean, we're not going to even be able to cover the whole entire story in this hour, probably. But like, let alone like you spent 90 days out there. But even beyond that, all the work leading up to it. But when you have a passion project and it's something that you are 100 percent in even the grind like when people talk about the grind like it doesn't feel like a grind like it feels like something you're into and you're psyched about and you have this self definition now as an adventurer and like that's so cool you know oh yeah and then i would wake up at four o'clock in the morning at things a list of equipment and i would start a spreadsheet and put it on there and then you know you're driven and that's what you want to do. And actually, I, I want to inspire people to follow that energy because, of course, you're not going to cross an ocean on a kayak, but maybe you're going to paint. Maybe exactly. Yeah. Song. Maybe you're going to take, you want to take photographs of butterflies around the world? Do that. That's the energy you have to feel. And whatever, you know, I say on when I'm, in, I love to say this is people look for happiness in the wrong place. What is happiness? Is it having a bigger car and like bigger house and like, more responsibility, more money, or this. Once you get there, you always want more, right? There's always something more. Now, I say look for vibration. Yeah, yeah. Vibration is the moment. It could be with friends around the table having a good meal. It could be having a walk. It could be doing a party of tennis or throwing the ball with your kid or looking at them laugh and play. Whatever makes you vibrate, do that and do more yeah. of that again yeah. and again. Yeah. And this whole thing, like even during the hard parts, you were vibrating with it, you know? Yeah. Um, so once you finally got out there, I read a little bit in an article of like one of your favorite moments. And I've always been into this idea of like, I think so often all of these interviews, including the ones I've done, like we talk about the peaks and the valleys, you know, yeah. the high moments, the low moments. But, you know, in one of the interviews, you talked about this bird singing a song to you a few weeks into the row and it's these moments these everyday moments that you get to experience that i think are the ones that yeah. can stick with you yeah i mean three months is a long time yeah look what you do in a weekend yeah look what you do in one week two weeks three weeks one month two months 
where you do so much, like all the places you go, the people you talk to. I've missed all that. All I was is in yeah. my kayak paddling. Yeah. I've missed a lot, but what did I gain? And what did I gain is, yeah, there's there's going to be stormy moment where I have doubts, but then there's going to be quiet moment. And this one moment you're mentioning with that bird is maybe after five, four or five days, it was, I think it was after Hurricane Estelle, there was a hurricane coming my way. It got downgraded to a tropical storm, but I couldn't paddle, so I was you know, in, in my cabin. Yeah. And after a few days, you know, I don't sleep it well because it's rocking and rolling so much. That morning I came out, it was just beautiful. The air was like kind of moist, but soft on your skin. Uh, it was a little breeze. So there was no waves. There was a little swell, but like a soft swell. Yeah. Right. And then the sunrise was coming out of the clouds, like that beautiful color, blue, pink, purple. And it was just a perfect moment. And I started to cry for this just because like, I'm alive. This is so nice. I yeah. love this. Yeah. And then this bird came to see me and I've got something with the birds where they they come they came check on me almost every day hey you okay and i felt like connection with the birds connection with the yeah. with the, the even the fish even the clouds i felt such connection and yeah it was spiritual yeah well and i was going to ask you about that like how quiet is it when you're in the middle of the ocean and i know you're hearing the water hitting your boat and stuff but i guess just to relate i I was in a desert uh, like about a month ago and it was so quiet. And then all of a sudden we found a flock of birds and it just sounded magical. I was like, I mean, I love birds oh, yeah. anyways. Like I love when I go outside and you can hear them chirping and stuff, but this one was just magical. Cause I'm like, we haven't heard anything like this for like yeah. the whole week, you know, like, is it, is it quiet or is it noisier than we'd imagine the people who haven't been out there? Yeah. It, it's very noisy. Like you said, the, the, the waves on the boat, especially when you're inside, it's a carbon fiber boat. It's really loud. There's the wind that is constantly blowing. So it's noisy, but you, you get used to it. And also, I think I would, it's more the you're empty in your head. Like you have all the space because you have decluttering effect. Look, there's no email. There's no phone call. There's no calendar. There's no social media. There's no, yeah. like there's nothing else to do but then paddle and take care of your hygiene and eating properly. And then repairing some gear and looking at the weather and looking at the birds. There's nothing else than that. So you're, you know, it's what the, the Buddhists do when they get into their own space for a month, not talking to anybody or not listening to anything. I got into that zone just because I was alone. I didn't see a human being. I didn't walk for three months. I didn't see, I saw a boat, but it was like five, six miles away. I was happy to see them, you know? That's yeah. It. Yeah. So you get into a space where you, you disconnect completely from the reality and the, stimuli of the busy world into a very much more basic world where you're tuned with the water with the wave and the wind like something would shift i didn't know what there was something wrong with the waves and then i would finally mentalize it and, and understand rationalize okay it's because the wind shift direction but i would feel more than i would understand you know it's it's quite crazy and yeah. again i'm a regular guy i'm not the the guy who sailed all his life <laughs> but you get attuned to your environment. Yeah. I mean, you know, after doing something for a certain amount of time and a certain amount of days by yourself, like what becomes regular to you is, is something that's different to people who haven't experienced it, you know? Yeah. I just, I, I want to hear like the ocean is so huge. Like to me, it's, it's so something I'm, I'm from Iowa. Like I'm in the middle of the, I was in the middle of the country. I'm still in Colorado, like not around the ocean that often. Every time I am, I'm always in awe of it. Um, and to imagine being in the middle of it in a little boat and I'm powering the boat is just fascinating to me. Like, can you explain like just the feeling of vastness? Like how did that feel? Yeah. So you get very humble because you feel tiny because the ocean is so big and so powerful. Like the ocean doesn't care if there's a storm coming, it doesn't care that you're floating on it. So you feel very vulnerable. Yeah. But in a way that makes you understand your position in the world, like I'm small and that's what I am. When we are on land, we think we're bigger than we are, but we're really nothing. And in fact, you, you agree that okay, if I die, it's okay. It's part of life. You, you know, um, the ocean is, seems to be limitless, but you know it's limited. So 
it's the power of your mind to say, okay, keep grinding every day a little bit. It's going to let me through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I know some people I went into the desert with felt that same way where they're like, it just makes you realize you're a part of the earth and that if something happened, you would be a part of this whole cycle and you would be, I, you know, like you your know body what? would help fuel other things and stuff like that. I think it's a, it's a privilege to feel that. But I think it's a lot of people need to seek it because it's an experience of being alive to feel that connection. And uh, um, you, you don't finish, you're not the same person after that. So I would advise everybody to try to feel that once. Yeah, well, and I, I do, I agree that it is funny, like, it is such a privilege, you know, to be able to, quote, unquote, escape from our reality, our everyday, you know. Um, but I'm so I think it's so important, though. And I'm like, yeah. there has to be other ways than going into the middle of the ocean, or going into the middle of a desert, oh, yeah. you know, there yeah. has to, for me, I'm like, I need to find that same space that I found in my head in day to day life, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, I think, think that's the help. challenge. Yeah. It does help to have this experience once. Yes. Very, uh, Agreed. Dramatic label, yes. Level so that you know where it is. And then on a daily basis, you could go back to it because you know where, how it is, you know? You know how it feels. It's yeah. like when, um, if you've been like, you know, doing unhealthy habits or whatever, you know, you're not eating the best or whatever. And then all of a sudden you eat really healthy for a month and you're like, this right. is you how this feels for a month. Yeah. You work out for a month. You sleep well. This is what it feels. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. once you feel that, you know how to get back there. And I agree. Like, I think once you do these big adventures and you're in the wilderness by yourself, like, you at least know what it feels like so you can seek it in your regular life. But again, people can find it in, in their own way. Yeah. If you write a book and you're so into it that you get to that point where you feel yes, you know, with life, that's perfect. Do it your way. Find your way. That's what it is. You have to search for your own way. Yeah. Yeah. And but I think speaking from experience for me, like it's hard sometimes with how busy things are to actually search for it, like to even give time to search for it. You know what I mean? And I think that's the challenge is, you know, it has to be important enough that you go out and seek it, you know? Yeah. And you could seek it uh, through other people's experience and try to understand, like I'm going to do the Atlantic next year. Yeah. Like, follow me every day. I'm going to write a blog and try to understand. Like, I'm in, dude. Like, I'm in following you every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you could you could live through other people's experience. But at some point, uh, maybe there's going to be something that says, I want to live it, you know, and, and make roaming in life and, at some point. And, and life is, is long. So we have opportunities, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think the more people sharing stories and thoughts and what they gain from it, like you, um, the more it allows other people to access it. Um, right, because the thing is, we, we think it's not for me, you know? And the yeah. question, when people listen to me and say, this guy's a normal guy, then they'll think, why not me? And that's the question you have to ask yourself, like, why not me? Yeah, no, and that's, it's just, I think what you're doing is allowing access for other people, you know? Whether you know it or not, but like, I think you, it's the ripple effect of positivity. You're putting it out there and people might pick it up and, you know. I hope so. Do, yeah, exactly. And isn't that the thing we all hope for? I don't know. At least for I me, know. I'm like, this is what you I hope know. for. <laughs> you never know who you're going to inspire. Yeah. So the, the only thing you have to do is put it out there and somebody's yeah. going to pick it up. Like if there's only one guy who listens to the podcast, this podcast and say, you know what? I've always wanted to do the, the, the crossing of Corsica. I'm going to do this. You yeah. Know, why not? Like, or I wanted to do this. Let's do it. You know, and uh, thank you for taking the time and uh, to, you know, creating this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're changing the world, my man. I hope so. I don't know. I hope <laughs> I hope I'm a little voice of positivity out there. But <laughs> dude, uh, first of all, I have to ask you just straight up. Will you come back on at some point? Like, I feel like there's so much more to dive into and i do want to hear how you're preparing for the atlantic yeah. crossing and how that's yeah. different because like you know i have a feeling there's differences 
and different challenges in both just being yeah. different oceans in different areas of the world. Um, and I want to dive into that, but I also want to hear more of the story of this crossing too. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Listen, we can come anytime. Zoom call is just a zoom call away. Yeah. Uh, so let's do it in whatever you want. I, I would love that, man. Just yeah. Before the Atlantic. Uh, so I'm, I'll be starting in December next year, 2024. Okay. Okay. So we could do that before and then after. Yeah. Tell you the experience of the arriving in Barbados. I would be, I would be honored, man. I would be All so right. honored. Uh, yeah. So let's schedule that. Let's plan it. This is the first episode of 2024. Uh, it's when I'm going to release this one. Uh, and then sometime later this year, we'll have Cyril back on. But uh, in the meantime, where can people kind of follow along, follow your journey? Oh, it's easy. The website is solo kayak the Atlantic. Okay. Dot com. And, and I'll make sure to share that. Yeah. From there, there's all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, okay. LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, there's another one, which is super hard. It's my first name and last name.com. So Cyril Deramo.com. Good luck to everyone who types. It. Oh, super simple. No big deal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you have linked on your podcast, that'll probably make it easier. But solo kayak, the Atlantic is the first step. Yeah. I'll, I'll link all of that on here. So thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for, uh, you know, letting me interview you with a four-year-old. I thought it actually went pretty well. She I was, great. <laughs> she was all right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up this week's episode of the like a Bigfoot podcast. A uh, huge thanks to Cyril for coming on the show. Uh, absolutely wonderful guy, wonderful conversation. That was such a refreshing and awesome way for me to start off my new year. Um, as it, as I think about like, you know, you take the time towards the end of the year to think about the goals that you might have. Um, and this year I tried to do it a little bit differently. I tried to look at it in different kind of aspects or different areas of life, whether that was, uh, <laughs> dad mode, which you heard in this episode, uh, or it was, um, aspects of adventure or, you know, being an athlete, uh, being a teacher, um, and just doing this podcast. And, uh, you know, this episode kind of represents what drives my passion with doing this project and, you know, doing this project for all the years that we have. Like I look back and I'm like, dude, we're on episode 307, almost 370 at this point. Like, that is crazy to me, but the thing that, you know, makes me want to record all these episodes really is conversations with people like Cyril. Uh, I think the part that really connected with me um, was this idea of fear and how do you handle fear? This was something he obviously wanted to do, like not just wanted to do on a normal level like this is where you want something so bad it's like in your bones you feel it and you are like this has to happen i don't just want it to happen i don't just want to cross the ocean in a kayak the idea somehow got in cyril's head and it had to happen um and for people who have experienced that before in whatever realm that may be um, not just kayaking across the ocean, but whatever, like when, when you feel that you are okay with failure, you are okay with fear. You understand those are aspects of anything and you have to be able to handle them. And I thought what Cyril said about, you know, slowly adapting to the fear and, and defining it and saying, like, I'm at a level six right now. Um, you know, I thought that was really important. And I think that's something we can use in our, our day-to-day lives too, whether it's with fear or whether it's with stress or whether it's with any type of situation that gets kind of challenging, you can kind of define where you're at in response to that situation. And I think that would be really, really helpful. Um, as it pertains to just fear or the cycle of failure or things like that. I want you to think about something that you are really, really passionate about. Maybe it's a goal that you have for this year, for 2024. Um, get that in your head for a second. All right, you got it. 
Cool. Okay. So you got a goal in your head and I want you to think about what fears are coming up with it. You know, what, when you think about that goal, what is intimidating? What is scary? What makes you nervous about the goal? Like what are things that you are fearful of? And then I want you to try to think of those things and I want you to reinterpret them because our fear, when we are scared and when we are nervous and, you know, when we're like mildly terrifying, a lot of times that is signaling to ourselves like this is an important thing to me. This is important for me to put myself out there or put myself, put, put my, you know, self on the line for <clears throat> whatever the goal may be. Um, the more fear that we have, that's like a signal to us about how important it is. And so it's an important thing to do because I think a lot of people read that signal as a stop sign where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling fear. I need to stop. And more importantly, the signal is like, no, like you're feeling fear because it's important. That means you need to go. And you know, obviously you need to go and, and it helps you if you're thinking about your fears, it does help you plan on any speed bumps that you might encounter along the way, any obstacles you might face. But those are things that aren't put there to stop you. Those are things that are put there to uh, make the experience a more full experience, to make to make it an adventure, right? Like an adventure is not going to be easy. There's going to be intimidating moments. There's going to be scary moments. Uh, when you're adventuring in whatever, like it doesn't have to be crossing an ocean. It could be, you know, just doing something you're really passionate about or pursuing a project or pursuing a new path in life. Um, those obstacles are not stop signs. Those obstacles are speed bumps. Fear is not a stop sign. Fear is, is part of it. It just is. Fear just is when it comes to these things. Um, failure. Failure is not a bad thing. We talked about that in this episode. Um, there's the cycle of failure. You got to fail before you can succeed. It just it just is. It's, you know, in, in a perfect world, it would be great if you could just succeed. Um, but this world is not a perfect world, as we all know. And uh, you know, it's, it's just part of it. Failure is part of it. Watch a kid trying to learn how to walk, right? Like I think about my kids, um, and a little kiddo when, when they're learning how to walk, they stand up and they're on their little tiny shaky legs. And, you know, they're like, kind of like, they look at you for a second, like I'm standing up and you're like, yeah, dude, go for it. Um, and then they put their foot out. They're going to take that step and then they face plant, you know, uh, and it happens every single time on the first time. And it's not like that kid in their brains like, oh, my goodness, I failed. I'm never going to be able to do this. They don't think that they don't think that at all. They just get up and they try it again and they fail again and then they try it again and they fail again. And then eventually they do a little bit better and then eventually they do a little bit better than that. And then. All of a sudden, they're walking around everywhere. Now you can't stop them from just sprinting around the household, running into stuff. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's how it works. And we all knew that at some point when we were kids, when we were toddlers, toddling around everywhere. Um, and then we we forget that along the way or, or we get intimidated along the way or we start thinking about like, what are other people going to think? And like, you know, what if what if it doesn't work and I'm wasting my time and, and all that. And I guess I'm here to say like, you aren't wasting, whenever you're pursuing something, even if it doesn't turn out in the way that you thought it was going to turn out, you're not wasting your time. You're learning things. You're having a full experience, you know, even when it gets hard and challenging and you might fail like Cyril did in this episode well, when we we're talking about his first attempts at it, you're not wasting your time. Like you're just having an experience. You're having a full experience and that is part of it. So um, 
I'm excited about 2024. I don't know about you guys. I think I just gave myself a pep talk down here in my basement at 5.15 a.m. on a random Friday. So uh, uh, I hope you all are out there. I hope you are able to face your fears. I hope I'm able to face my fears, you know, like nobody's perfect at this. Um, but putting yourself out there, it's just going to give you a, a full experience. And I, to me, I'm like, that's the point. That's the point of being down here. So um alrighty let's get them let's get it so uh <laughs> 2024 let's go uh all right we'll be back at you next week